When I reflect back on a year, what I do is I really look at the areas of things that I can improve and become a master of. When a master masters something so well, it's easy for them to continually do the thing that they've mastered. But you have to continually master other avenues and other aspects of your business. I've always been told as a child, if you are eager to learn, then you'll be unstoppable. For the past 14 years, Curtis JQs has been an unstoppable force in the Cutco personal sales arena. He has finished first or second in sales in the company every year since 2006 with four national championships. Year in and year out, Curtis has been able to find the next level in his business. Through consistent learning, annual reflection, and focused effort, Curtis has become a master of his craft. His insights can help you find your next level. Get ready for the legendary Curtis JQs. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is one of the legendary Cutco sales reps, uh, number two all-time rep in the history of Cutco behind only the mythical, as I could say, John Rulin. I have today Curtis Jacques. He is approaching $7 million in career sales, career personal sales, has 16,000 Cutco customers. Curtis has been in the business since 2003, got serious about the business, as he would say, in 2005. And check this out. For the past 14 years, Curtis has been either number one or number two in the company in personal sales all 14 years. Uh, Number one in the United States in 2009. uh, Number one Cutco sales professional in 2012, 2015, 2018. uh, And again, this year, currently number one with over $900,000 in sales for the year. Just one guy. Uh, Curtis is married. Uh, He and his wife, Tui, have a two-year-old daughter named Chloe. And he is truly one of the all-time Cutco great sales reps. So very excited for this interview today. Curtis, thanks for making time for the podcast. Hey, thank you, Dan, for letting me uh, talk to everyone today. So excited. I think people are going to get some great stuff out of being able to hear your story and your insights. Uh, why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about your background from 
the days before you started with Cutco Vector so that uh, people can learn a little bit more about your personal story? Yeah. So I am definitely a country kid from a small town uh, in the middle of uh, nowhere, Colorado. In our small town, it was basically you're in sports or you're in arts. And then if you were the overachiever, you did both. Uh, you did sports and arts. And arts would be like band or choir or performing arts. And I did that when I was younger. And then, uh, you know, before I went off to college, did a lot of work either scrubbing dishes as a dishwasher or waiting tables for my aunt at the restaurant out there. And that's the beginnings before uh, Cutco found me in 2003. So... Yeah. And, and so how did you hear about Cutco? I was actually that crazy person that found out from a newspaper article way back when, and it said work for students. And I was like, oh, mom told me to get a job. I better uh, answer this ad in the newspaper and see what it's all about. So, And this was in Fort Collins, Colorado? It was, yes. Uh, when I was going to school at CSU. Oh, okay. So you were at mm-hmm. school when you applied? Yeah. So I actually uh, went to junior college before I went to uh, CSU. And when I was at junior college, I was actually uh, student body president and I was on the board with the student body. So I really didn't have to work my first two years of college because they basically paid for me to go to school. I was also an RA and uh, I was the guy that ran all of the arts and science so I was the teacher's aide basically at that time. So they were paying for my school. So by the time my junior year of college came around, when I transferred to CSU, uh, money had ran out and mom told me to get a job. So that's, that's how I applied for uh, Cutco at that time. Got it. And, so and I was 21. Okay. I think I was 21 when that happened. And then how far away is Colorado State from where you grew up? It's about three hours away. Okay. So. So your family, yes. all your leads are three hours away. You're at Colorado State, and uh, you end up applying and heading into the local vector office. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. I had no clue what it was when I first walked in. Uh, there was just this really attractive lady that was there, and she was uh, like, "Thanks for coming into the interview." Uh, I said, "What are we doing?" And she said, "Don't worry, just sit here, and uh, you'll be fine." So. I sat there and waited for what was about to happen. <laughs> so it was a pretty, it was a pretty fun beginning because I was that typical college student that had no clue of my surroundings or what was going on. So it was pretty funny. Got it. Got yeah. it. And what, what were some of the challenges that you experienced early on and, and the lessons that you feel grew out of those experiences? Well, when I was young in the business, uh, that was a time when Cutco, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, not a whole lot of people knew about Cutco. So the challenges at that point was what you're selling knives, uh, what kind of thing is that? Are you, you're, you're part of this scam or are you doing something that you shouldn't be doing? So the challenge was that people wouldn't even listen to me because they didn't even know what Cutco was at that time. As the years have gone by, it's so easy. You know, Cutco is becoming like a Kleenex brand where people say Cutco, they're like, oh, I know what that is. So at that time, it was a huge challenge because A, my family lived out in the middle of nowhere. B, they were very poor people. So, you know, Cutco at that time was pretty expensive. And uh, the other thing too is they couldn't believe that I would be selling something 
rather than doing manual labor, because as a farm kid, you know, that's what you did. You got a job in either construction or some type of manual labor. And when they heard that their kid was trying to sell something, it was kind of, what are you doing and why are you doing that? So, yeah, you know, for so many successful people, part of getting to that success is about breaking out of the molds or expectations that other people hold for you. Correct. You know, growing up on a farm, right? People expected a certain path for you and you had to be able to see something different and have the courage to take on something different. And it's pretty cool that you did and then, and have wound up making this so successful. So I, I understand your first year and a half or two years or so, you struggled a little bit. You kind of dabbled. Tell us a little bit about that period of time. Yeah. So when I first started with Cutco, it was the fall of 2003. I was the worst representative you could have ever met because I, I didn't listen to what they were teaching me. So I wasn't on the script. I decided that I could do it on my own because I knew how to you know, sell things and I could create the, my own wheel. So after my fast start, I did a group interview with 11 people. Obviously, that group interview did not go very well. I think I sold a cutting board and a hunting knife at that time. So I sold like $76 my first weekend, <laughs> uh, which was awful. And then I finally went to my aunt's house separately, and my aunt actually bought a galley set. And I was like, woohoo, I sold something. And after I sold that set, I literally quit Cutco. I was like, this is not for me. I don't, I can't do this. And over the period of time from 2003 to about the beginning of 2005, I think I quit Cutco like three or four or five times. Because, uh, you know, Cutco is really good at bringing us back in and going, well, it's just because you didn't have the tools. Maybe you just didn't do things correctly. And, you know, I'm a listener and I'm a follower uh, when it comes to directions and stuff like that. So I always was like, okay, they wouldn't try to make me fail. Like I've never failed at anything I've ever done. So why are you failing so bad? So I'd come, I'd mess up. And then I finally was like, you know what? I'm going to go into management. It's going to be the solution. So uh, I can direct other people instead of me just trying to figure it out on my own. So, <laughs> and then, so you you are, were in, in management for a short amount of time. I did. I was actually a sales manager for uh, all of 2014. Uh, I was a sales manager down in Phoenix, Arizona, for uh, Jeremy Rents at that time, uh, and then after that, I came back to uh, Fort Collins. And then they hired me again. I shortly quit after that because college started up and I really needed to focus on education because it was my senior year. And uh, of course, Kakao rehired me and then I became the flyering. I used to flyer campuses across Colorado because they said, you know what, we'll just pay you to help us out. And I was like, okay. And then I came back to Kakao. So. Got it. Got it. So you were a sales manager. So you were a sales manager with Jeremy Rents in 2004. Mm -hmm. And then 2005 is where the switch sort of flipped for you and you began to become one of the elite sales reps. So when you made this decision that you were going to become a a sales rep full time and you were going to really do it right and crush it, tell us about how did the ways in which you went about your business change from that point forward? Well, see, the key word that you said there is business. When I first started Cutco, people didn't talk to me as a business owner. 
Uh, they talk to me as you're going to sell knives, you're going to do really well, get out there and sell as much as you can. And then after going through the management program, which was phenomenal for me, that I realized that these managers are building a business. And I was one of the representatives that was helping them build that business. And I wasn't doing my job properly because they looked to me to hit numbers and to sell a certain amount so that their business could thrive. Once I had that realization that it's a business that I'm trying to create, then that's where the light bulb went off for me to become an elite rep with Cutco because I didn't treat it as a business. I treated it as a job or a hobby or something to give me that quick cash so that I could go out and, you know, buy the next steak meal that I wanted to go eat. So the light bulb went off when my managers are like, well, how come you're not treating this like a business? This is your business. Your name is on this. So just remember, every time you go out to that customer's house, Curtis JQs is stamped and logoed on that. And kind of like branding myself, I was just like, okay, if my name is stamped on this and I keep failing, not only me, but my customers, I'm not really building a business. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm giving a lot of empty promises to those customers that I promised I'll be there. If you need anything, let me know. I'll sharpen your knives. I'll take care of you. And that wasn't happening because I was just using it as a job or an excuse to have a job so that my parents weren't making me go find something else to do. So, wow. And so when you made this distinction, can you describe one or two like specific things that changed for you in terms of your activity or what you were doing that uh, turned things around for you? Yeah. Some distinct things that changed for me was customer relationships and interaction. Before I would just tell the customer or whatever to make them happy at that moment so that I could get the sale and get out of there. What had really changed is that I was like, I wasn't just saying things to say things to the customer. I was more engaging with them and actually really directing them and channeling a, uh, I'm going to be here years from now, you know, planting the seeds of other things that they could buy, other things that they could do. Um, a lot of times in our business, what we're taught is to go out and try to sell that customer everything all at once and get it over with. And what I realized is that you can't do that when you're building a business because if you're just out there and you're taking everything from every single person you do, you become transactional. And uh, when you're a transactional person, you leave things behind and you forget mm. that that person has feelings and that person has, they have a respect level towards you as well. So first thing was the way that I handled customers uh, instead of just trying to get the sale and get the biggest sale that I could. I really tried to cultivate a, a culture of, Hey, you know what? If you don't get it today, guess what? You can buy it from me at this time when we have a sale and we have. So what I was doing is I was literally making it so that my business would continually grow by the way that I was talking to the customers. So that was one thing that was different. And the other thing was the philosophy of why people do what they do. When we think of the psychology of a human, when we walk into like a store or something like that, we either have an impulse or we don't have an impulse. And what normally would happen when I first started with Cutco is I only reacted to the impulse rather than the repercussions of what would happen if I pushed that customer to the point where they're going to return something or they're going to not like their purchase or I am at fault for the reason why things turned out bad for them. So after I started to realize that the psychology of people is sometimes you have to slow them down and say, hey, let's wait on this and let's just do this for now because I want you to be happy with this. Mm -hmm. And then we can move on to the next step. Once I started to do that, 
that really just changed the way that I thought of a business because then it became more of, I'm here for you. I'm not here for myself. Uh, a lot of times in sales, it's all about me, 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 I, 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 what I want, what I want. And I realized that it's not about me. I'm building a business with people that I have to have for 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I can't just take, take, take for myself. I need to make sure that I'm taking for what they want and not what I want. Mm, that's such a good insight, Curtis. I, I think that when Cutco reps don't have that long-term mentality, they do things that are in the interest of now, right? And like overselling is one of the most common things that you, I think you'll see a lot of newer reps do that don't have that longer term view, right? And you're, right. you've developed an ability to sense, you know, what is the right decision for the customer now, even if it means buying something smaller today than, you know, getting everything right now, because you know, they're going to like it. They're going to be happy with it. And you're going to be the guy there to collect the orders as they continue to upgrade and get more and more stuff down the road. Right. right. So that's, that's a really good insight. And it, and it's a simple thing too. Sometimes it's just getting that customer to get on your database so that you can provide a service to them that they haven't had or never have gotten from the other representatives that they have run into. And I find that that's a huge strength to my business today is that I'm more of a service industry person rather than just, uh, I'm here to take your order. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And customers yeah. respect yeah. that more because of it. That's a great distinction. So you have been on just a, an incredible path of growth for your entire career. You know, just reviewing your annual sales numbers, it has been year after year after year of continued growth from selling, you know, a hundred something thousand in the early days to getting up into that 200, 300 range. And then all of a sudden it was five and six and eight. And, you know, now uh, 900 this year on your way to over a million in sales for the year. So, you're always finding the next level in your business, Curtis. And this is something that I think I have a tremendous amount of respect for this because I know how hard it is to do that. And very few people ever accomplish something like that where they're always finding that next level. I would love if you could speak to for a while how one creates that in their business or in their life where they're always improving and finding that next level. This is something that, you know, I, I take pride in every year as I look back on the year that I just had and I look at what went well and what didn't go well at all. And a lot of times what people say is delegate the things that uh, you don't like doing. And we find out that if you delegate away the things that you don't like doing, now you're putting that in someone else's, you know, hands. That's something that you should be mastering. I've always been told as a child, if you're not willing to learn, then nobody's going to be able to help you. If you are eager to learn, then you'll be unstoppable. And I think that comes from Zig Ziglar. And uh, that is just something that I like to do is look back on the year. And what I do is I find the things that didn't go so well. So like this year, I'm really focusing in on business gifts. Uh, and the reason why is because I have so many clients. I've never ever focused on that one area of the business. I've always focused on the service and doing shows and stuff like that. So when I reflect back on a year, what I do is I really look at the areas of things that I can improve and become a master of. When a master masters something so well, 
it's easy for them to continually do the thing that they've mastered. But the thing is that you have to continually master other avenues and other aspects of your business. And I think the thing is that a lot of reps don't. They look for the new thing or the new idea or the new program that they think that they can just throw themselves in and CPO is going to come to them. And for me growing every single year, I look at what is my core base? What is the one thing that every year is going to produce insane, like insane amount of Cutco business? Mm -hmm. And that's going to be my foundation of service calls and doing uh, all of the in-home stuff, the service aspect of it. And then right after that comes shows. Instead of adding on to my shows, what I do is I really look at it and go, you know what? We're not going to add to our shows. We're going to take away and we're just going to make the shows that we do that much better by providing more service, more value, more importance for these customers to come back year after year after year just to see me. That way I'm not working as hard. I'm working smarter, not harder. So when I do that, I really focus on that. A lot of people try to focus on just the positive. I like to focus on the negative a lot. And the reason why I focus on the negative is because that's where the learning comes from. Mm -hmm. Okay. Why am I not selling in this area? What am I doing that's creating a non-need for that area? How can we fix that? Is it just a simple mentioning it to every single customer? Or is it you know, actively engaging myself in an area of these type of clients that I'm looking for? And then when you start doing more of that research and start figuring it out, your base is naturally going to take care of you because you're such a master already at that that now it's like if you change your focus just a little bit, like if that pendulum swings just a little bit towards something that you were not paying attention to or an area of your business that could grow, then you start to see success over there and you're like, oh, this flower is opening, you know, like we're starting to bloom here. Like let's let's take care of this now and let's nurture it just like we did our original base that we used to take care of. So then what happens is naturally that growth starts to happen and you get excited because you're like, oh, there's another avenue that's opening up here and I didn't have to throw myself into it. It's just naturally here. And the one thing that people don't like is natural. You got to make it natural because you don't want to push yourself in the wrong direction. And then next thing you know, you hurt the base that provided so well for you. So... Yeah, that that was good, Curtis. You described that you focus on the negative, but in truth, you're looking for opportunities. You're looking for answers, right? You're not, Correct. it's not like somebody, I think the way most people view focusing on the negative is like having a pity party and, you know, trying to, okay. uh, you know, to figure out uh, all the reasons why something's not working uh, versus you identify opportunities in your business, in your game. Correct. And then you're looking for the answers on how you can improve those things. And for you first, it was improving at your service to customers, right? Your in-home service calls and appointments with customers. And then it was improving at your shows. And I love what you said about how you're not, at this point in your career, you're not trying to add more shows on an annual basis. In fact, you're doing less per year, but making the ones you're doing more productive, selling more in the same amount of time, right? And now you're adding right. the business gifts layer on, and uh, and what you what you said about uh, you know focusing on mastery, right? Mastering all the different elements versus just trying to you know constantly look for the shiny new thing that's going to help somebody sell more, but really mastering your fundamentals uh, is clearly one of the things that have, has made you so successful. You have probably 
cross-trained more people than anybody in the history of Cutco. So I know that there's a steady stream of reps traveling to Colorado to go watch you in action. Uh, I know personally that several of the reps I work with in the Western region have been out there and observed you and that you have also on occasion been invited to come out to other shows to demonstrate right how you do what you do and help other people to learn and to grow. I would love it if you could capture what you feel like are some of the key skills or key insights that you pass along to others when they're observing you. What is it that you teach them that helps them find the next level uh, for themselves? Well, the first thing that I like to, uh, when a someone comes out cross-training or someone wants to be mentored is I really dive in with them personally. A lot of times what they want to do is they want to come out and watch us uh, or me and see what I'm doing so that they can pick up a, a couple key things or a few things that are different. And when representatives come out, what they're doing is they're coming to watch us, but I think it's the, uh, the aura or the whatever to be around someone that is a top rep that is selling like that, that kind of oozes that confidence to them as well. Cause they're like, Oh, I went out and I saw Curtis and mm -hmm. you know, I can do this. And it's not just about because they saw me do it. It's because I want them to realize that they can do it and that they have to change their mindset and their focus on what they're doing with themselves. Because a lot of times they'll come up and they're like, wow, it's just so magic. I don't even know what's happening. And this is happening so fast. And you're so good at this and this and that and that. And I'm like, slow down, calm down. There's nothing that I'm doing differently than what you're doing. What I'm doing is I'm doing it with confidence. And I'm doing it because I know that that's exactly what the customer is looking for. And a lot of times I like to dive in with these people. And I, I say, well, why are you looking for this certain thing? Why are you coming to look for me for answers? When the answers are already right there in front of you, you're just choosing not to do the answer. Mm -hmm. A lot of times what it is, it's just they don't have a focus of that in their business or what they're doing is they're trying to find an excuse why what they're doing isn't working. So they try to use me as like, uh, oh, well, Curtis does it this way, so I guess I have to do it that way. Um, we all learn differently and we all teach differently. And I think the most important thing is when people come out and they cross train with me or they listen to me, I really tell them what I'm doing is the same thing you're doing. I'm just saying it differently or I'm creating a need differently or I'm paying attention to the customer's mannerism just differently. The key thing is listening because a lot of people don't listen. So that's one of those things that I'm trying to get with the representatives to understand that they're great and they know what they're doing. I was in their same shoes years ago. I'm not doing Jedi mind tricks to get people to buy Cutco. I'm saying the same thing. I'm just doing a little bit differently with a lot more confidence. Mm. So, mm. so m mindset and confidence is where it all begins. How does that manifest? Like how, if somebody were to watch you and try to describe like how does Curtis convey a greater sense of confidence or a greater sense of conviction, uh, what would you say as far as how that, how that shows up? How I do that is I say, look at what you're selling. The first thing is understanding what you're selling. Kako is an amazing product. Kako sells itself. 
Cutco is the best product in the world of its kind. Um, when you realize that you're selling the best product in the world of its kind, then your confidence level should already be up there. Mm-hmm. The mindset comes from, you'd be crazy if you didn't buy this. You'd be crazy if you didn't you know, have this in your home. So mindset just is the realization that what you're selling is the best thing in the world. And what it is is that you are the best person to buy it from. I don't want someone else buying Cutco from someone else. I want them buying it from me. They're in front of me. I'm the rep that's their solution. I'm the one that's going to make their dreams and realities happen because I'm going to work with them. I'm going to try to get them the best deal. So how you manifest it is that you just have to believe in the process. You know, there's so many reps that came before me that had paved the way And there's some of us currently that are paving the way for these representatives to do so well in our business that if they just trust the process and trust their mind and know confidently that they are selling the best product in the world, magic happens. Mm -hmm. It's not the person that's standing there that's magical. What it is, is the magic is the mindset and the belief that we are the best product, we are the best people, and I know what I'm doing. So please give me your business. You know, how can I earn your business? Yeah. Well, that, that's an awesome insight that the magic is in the mindset. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, helping people to realize that is something that's the, the first key to them being able to break out for sure. How about uh, a little more of like the technical skills that you try to teach people in terms of success at a booth or a fair, you know, in dealing with a customer, interacting with a customer? The technical stuff is actually all the small things, the things that people forget about, Mm -hmm. Uh, the way you talk to people, the way you stand at the booth, the way that you interact with the customer comes down. Sometimes it's just a smile and a laugh and a handshake. And those are things that we miss so much when we're in sales because we're so focused on trying to get that order that we forget that, you know, uh, you know. A handshake goes a long way, a smile, a laugh, just technically the interaction has to be more about them and not about us. Uh, Because, you know, if it's a show, people are coming up to the booth for a reason. And we have to identify what are you coming up here for? What are you looking for? What do you want? What do you need? And if you can identify and you can do those technical, just go down that thing, ask those three questions. Are you looking for something? Do you need something? Do you want something? Then we can identify really quickly. And technically, that's so many things that we don't do because we're trying to stay on the script, which a script is important. Uh, I'm not saying don't be on a script, but what you do is you become a robot. And the thing is, personality is everything. People buy from us because of our personality and who we are and what kind of moment that they're having. And I always tell people when they come up cross-training, I was like, technically, you need to create a moment. You need to create a moment where people want to buy Cutco and they see the need for it and then they go after it. The other technical thing is you have to find a problem and you got to solve it. Okay. A lot of times in sales, people don't understand that people buy things because they have a problem that needs to be fixed. So the main thing is, is solving that problem that they're looking for or that they need fixed, right? So technically, I always tell reps, those are the two things that you need to make make sure you're doing. Moment with the customer or have an experience. You know, you always hear that buying experience. 
And then the other thing is find the problem and solve it. Mm. And if you can do those technical things, you'll be nails. That's awesome. Now, some of this, what you described about, you know, interactions with the customers and, um, you know, showing your personality and creating a moment, you had mentioned to me previously that some of these things, the seeds were planted for you in, in these, you know, these qualities when you were waiting tables for your aunt in your aunt's restaurant. Is that right? Correct. Yes. And what were some of those experiences that you had there? Well, waiting tables really has, you know, really taught me a lot about the human and uh, the instincts that we have. Uh, we've all been in a restaurant and we've all had bad servers and we've all had great servers. And whenever we have a great server, the first thing is that we're first to thank them. We're first to shake their hand where we always tell them, hey, have a great evening. Like that comes out of us first. And when I was younger, I realized that when I waited tables, I had more people coming in. They call them regulars uh, when you're out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I would have a whole section filled up every Sunday with regulars right after church because I, I really made it about them and asked them how things were going. And, you know, one thing that I noticed, people like talking about themselves. Okay. And when people talk about themselves, they open up and barriers come down. What happens a lot of times when we have interactions with people, what we do is we put a barrier up right away because we're a salesperson. People don't like to be sold. They like to be told. And the thing is that when waiting tables, when you make a suggestion to someone about something on the menu, you make that suggestion because you know that that's one of the best things on the menu and that people rave about it and they love it and that they're going to eat it constantly. So when I was young, I realized that my recommendations matter the most. Because if I'm selling something as selling a good, I need to make sure that when they get it at home, they use it and they're like raving about it to every single person. So when I was talking about waiting tables, planting those seeds, those seeds were like ingrained in me from a young age because I loved knowing that every Sunday when I went into work, I already had a set amount of money or a set amount of tips that were going to come in because I could have relied on five to 10 of my regulars to come in and give me a bigger tip than some random person off the street that I didn't know anything about. Mm. So that was great. Very insightful. I like where you said there, you learned that your recommendations mattered the most, right? In dealing with people in a restaurant, right? You knew what people raved about. You knew what people were happy with, right? And, and I, there, there are great parallels to that with Cutco because you know, you've, you have 16,000 customers, right? Like you literally have seen thousands and thousands of people order Cutco and you know, the people that are the most satisfied and you know, what they own and why they're the most satisfied. So you're able to bring that to the next, you know, wave or generation of customers that you're seeing to be able to be someone who can make recommendations and direct the customer towards certain purchases. And, and I think that's a powerful position to be in. And, and as Cutco reps or salespeople in any field, people need to understand the power of their own ability to recommend to the customer what to do, right? To help them make a decision, right? So that, that was very insightful for sure. Curtis, who are some of the people who have most impacted you or inspired you in your life or in your career? Well, there's a lot of people, obviously. Uh, you know, you don't stay with something for 16 years just because 
it's the thing to do. Uh, you always have someone that motivates you year after year, or uh, you remember the things that were instilled in you when you were young. I always tell people, you know, my grandmother, one of the most influential people of all time. And that's just because when I was younger, she always told me, break the mold of what people expect you to do. Mm. Because where we come from is a little, you know, farm town. You're not really go off to college. You're pretty much, you got to stay here. You got to, you know, stay on the farm. You got to run the farm. You got to do all little things like that or run a business in the local town or wait tables until you are, uh, you know, old and good luck on retirement. And she always told me, she goes, you know what? If you don't like where you're at now, you've got to be the one that changes it. And I've always told myself, you know what, I'm going to create something that I've never could have dreamed of as a child because that that's not how it was. So I would say she's very influential on that because she put that in my mind as a young child. That's why all of my family, they're all laborers. So they do everything in labor and I'm the only one that's different. You know what I mean? So that was one of those things that I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to break the mold on this and change things for the family and the way they think, which has been great for them because a lot of them now have businesses and they come to me for advice and they're like, Hey, what should I do here? What should I do there? And it, that's just been really motivating there as well. Obviously Drew Frank, we all love Drew Frank. We know Drew Frank really well. And Drew has continually supported me on, you know, my quest of where I'm going and how I'm doing things. And some of the key things that he always taught me is goes, remember, your business is super important to you. Your name is on it. When Drew moved to Denver, he was really the one that put that business sense in my mind of, hey, you know, this is your business. You're branding yourself like this. Is this exactly how you want to do? Is this quality of what Curtis is? And is that my signature? And I never liked my signature at the beginning. And now my signature is my signature. And I'm proud of what has been produced from that. You know, there's always representatives that push us in the nation from the mythical John Rulin, which I've always looked up to as a young rep. And I'm like, someday, you know, I'm going to be like that. And Brandon Brown constantly pushing the envelope with me. He's really taken the reins and said, you know, we got to do this. We got to show what's capable out there and what the next steps could be for us as reps. And that's been phenomenal. And there's just so many people to name. Obviously, you know, I have a list of like 40 or 50 people that are phenomenal and they're close to me. That's what's great about our community with Cutco is that everybody is a tight-knit community. And if we ever need to reach out or we ever have any issues or problems or need support, all we have to do is call one of them and uh, they'll come out of the woodworks to make sure that one of their own is doing and succeeding and excelling in this business. And I will tell you from 2003 to now, the community is so much better, so much stronger. And it's funny, you get those people that are Oh, you sell Kako? And I'm like, absolutely, I sell Kako. And there's a bunch of us that do, and we absolutely love it. And we wouldn't ever think of, you know, changing our career or position because this is the place to be. And when I first started, that was not that way. And now it's just like, I just love my job. I love what I do. I love everybody that's in this foundation. I'm just so grateful at one thing, but just 
motivated too because you're like i'm part of something and we're just going to keep kicking butt and we're going to keep taking names and pretty soon we're going to be all over the world and like i can say i was there before people even knew what it was (laughs) (laughs) indeed indeed well well as as you look into that future you know down the road five years ten years uh, what do you feel like you're most excited about either for your business or your personal life or or both of those things well, business-wise, what I'm really excited about is just knowing that I'm about to sell a million dollars. When I first started, I was said, "Oh, someday I'm going to sell hundred grand worth of Cutco, and I'm going to be just like the greats at that time." <laughs> and <laughs> I know we laugh now, right? It's like, "Holy crud! I'm selling a million dollars!" It's just really exciting to know that business is booming for Cutco reps. Uh, you know, a million dollars is just just the beginning, you know, five years from now, I can't wait to see, you know, 1.2, 1.5, maybe 2 million. You never know. I'm, I'm just putting that out there for Brandon Brown to freak out a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, just excited about the growth of the different avenues that we can sell Cutco and the different ways that um, people are buying Cutco now. Really excited about that. The thing that excites me about my business is that I have created a foundation and a business that is up and running that now that I have a child and a family in the future, I could see myself backing off a little bit and my business is still going to grow. You know, I'm going to be able to take those swim classes with my daughter and, you know, take her to whatever sport or whatever adventure she wants to go on. And I really don't have to worry about where the next sale is going to come from. You know what I mean? That's something that motivates me because 16 years ago, it was, how am I going to get my next ramen? And now it's like, how am I going to get that ramen now for my daughter and my wife? And now I'm like, I don't have to worry about that because I've created this foundation and I've created this business. It's going to be phenomenal from years to go. So my future looks bright and I'm really excited just to watch it grow and uh, you know, watch my family grow with it. So... Outstanding. Outstanding, Curtis. Well, Curtis, what you have accomplished is truly remarkable. I mean, the year-over-year growth that you've put up uh, is amazing to see. Approaching a million in sales for this year, just incredible. I know you're in a pitch battle with Brandon Brown for for this year. And obviously, you know, he's in my region, right? So uh, I'm watching this race closely. Uh, But it's great to see the mutual respect that you guys have and the fact that when the race is done, whichever guy wins, the other guy is probably going to be one of the first people to, to call him up and say congratulations. And it's amazing to see you know, all of what you've done. So kudos to you for raising the bar for the entire company and being such a great example and being somebody that, that so many people really respect and admire. And thanks very much for making time for the podcast. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, just thank you so much for uh, doing these podcasts because there's so many reps that talk about them and they're really, really motivated by it. So, and I appreciate them. All right. Outstanding. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. The amazing Curtis Jake Hughes, everyone. Uh, Very cool to hear how the distinction Curtis made of being a business owner is what took his results in Cutco Vector to a new level. Of course, he talked about being willing to learn and mastering different areas of the business to become great. 
uh, and the importance of that aspect of learning and growth. Uh, we hear that from so many successful people. The importance of conviction and mindset when he's teaching other people, helping to develop that in others. And then the idea that as salespeople, we are trying to create a moment for the customer. We're solving a problem and our recommendations matter in dealing with people. Such good insights right there. Loved hearing about the people that have impacted him in his life, his grandmother, who encouraged him to break out of the molds that were expected of him. Drew Frank, who encouraged him to make sure he found his signature, right? Putting his signature on everything he was doing. And did that fit the signature, the brand that he wanted to create of who he was? A great insight. And then, of course, uh, learning and being inspired by the mythical John Rulin and constantly being challenged by his fiercest competitor over the past few years, Brandon Brown. Both of these guys are going to go after a million dollars in sales for this year. At the time we're recording this, they're both approaching that mark. Uh, hopefully, we'll both achieve that goal for this year. Curtis is going to sell over a million dollars in Cutco in one year, one rep. Just immense, incredible performance by an amazing guy. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.